Welcome to Grow Your Dental Practice Podcast. I am your host, Mohammed Ismail. I am a cloud accounting expert and a business advisor to dental and medical professionals. My firm, Shift Accounting, has helped our clients reach their financial goals. How do we do this? We offer intuitive solutions through bookkeeping services and business consultancy. Our monthly management reports provide valuable financial insights. These insights can help you improve your profitability and help you achieve your goals sooner. Our goal for the Grow Your Dental Practice podcast is to provide you with valuable resources to help you build, manage, and grow your dental practice. I interview experts in a variety of areas, whether you're just thinking about starting your own dental practice or you're already well on your way. There is something for everyone. Enjoy the show. Hello, dear listeners. We are back again with another new episode. Joining us today is Dr. Justin Buller, whose passion for science led him to obtain a degree in biochemistry and dentistry at the University of Saskatchewan. He has been practicing as a general dentist ever since, emphasizing the importance of the dental experience. As he continues to leverage the latest innovation and technological tools to diversify treatment options for his patients. When he is not managing his multi-location practices, Dr. Buller is also a speaker, a mentor, an industry expert, and a co-founder of dentalbusinessmentor.com, where he puts together comprehensive curriculum packages covering a wide array of topics for follow dentists to benefit from. I am excited to have him here on the podcast as there is so much to learn from his journey. All right. I appreciate you having me here, Mom. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Most dentists start their career as an associate, maybe an owner, a partner maybe, uh, and they work chairside until retirement. For some, this is the perfect setup, but for others, they feel stuck. You know, they built a comfortable lifestyle, uh, but the only way to maintain that lifestyle is by working four to five, you know, days uh, a week. Mm-hmm. You own multiple practices, mm-hmm. you run them remotely, um, and you only practice dentistry one to two days a month. Um, I mean, for you to pivot early on, I mean, you're still a young guy, uh, you know, must, it's impressive. And uh, I'm sure it was hard work and took a lot of discipline. So tell me about your journey. Yeah, so uh, I mean, pretty good summary right there. And I, uh, I came out of dental school in 2010 and just uh, was very, very uh, eager to learn as much as possible about all aspects of dentistry. And that journey started uh, even into dental school. You know, dental school can be quite cookie cutter, can be quite in the box, very rigid. A lot of times the academics that you have teaching you are, are pretty good uh, with teaching you the didactic material and some clinical aspects as well. But really where you learn the most from was those folks who were just coming in from their private practice on clinic floor they, and they were just there to volunteer their time. You know, they weren't part of the faculty in any way. And I just found that, wow, there's such a disparity between having conversations with my professors and then these folks who are in the trenches, real world, doing what I will be doing. And I said, I think I better pay close attention to what they have to say. 
And so I started to form some relationships and, you know, visit their offices and talk to them. And I was like, wow, you know, there is a lot to learn here. There's a business to run in addition to, um, you know, just doing dentistry and, um, and our patients in the dental college, you know, there's an abundance of them here and uh, out there, uh, there's all kinds of things you have to be concerned about the demographics and, uh, you know, where you open practices and how you set yourself apart and, you know, doing HR and marketing and, you know, all those sorts of things. So it really opened up my eyes to say, okay, you know, I need to spend these four years in dental school, not only learning the clinical aspect, but actually learning the ins and outs of how a dental practice is run because dentistry is, is art it's science and it's business, right? And so it's all three. And uh, the the art and the science, we we get a good grasp on. And, um, and that's about it. So when I got out, I was just trying to learn as much as possible, finding mentors, finding folks that could teach me. And uh, wh- what I did know right away was like, I want to I wanna take as much CE as possible. So I was out there doing three, four times the CE requirements. I was away every weekend doing online programs and training. <laughs> and I had convinced myself, I said to myself, okay, you know, a lot of friends, uh, they would say, oh man, it's, you know, it just sucks to, when patients ask you how much experience you have, like, <laughs> you know, you got to say, well, I'm a new grad. And like, you know, what do you say to that? So I said, well, I got to find a way to be able to say I got a bunch of experience. So I said, okay, what does the average dentist work? The average dentist works approximately, uh, you know, four days a week, you know, um, they're working approximately six hours of active work a day. Um, you know, some up to seven and a half, eight, but approximately six, six and a half. And when you look at their schedules, the way they're booked, they're not all like highly productive schedules or booked in the most effective way you could. So what is experience really? It's how many patients you have seen, right? Mm. And how many procedures you have done, not the number of years you've done something. You know, if I've been a dentist for 10 years and someone else has been 10 years, but I did twice the patients, who's more experienced? Right. So I said, okay, I'm going to work 12 hours a day, uh, six days a week. And um, I'm going to do that so that uh, by my second year, I can say I have almost five years experience. (laughs) Wow. Fantastic. (laughs) So so anyways, uh, the point being, I think when we, when I came out, I was really just wanted to get as much experience as possible. And I love dentistry. I love clinical dentistry. I love, um, you know, just basically connecting with people and patients and seeing the positive impact that we can have. So we're just so blessed to be in this profession. But I also love the leadership and the culture building and and uh, helping people go from where they are to where they want to be with their goals, whether that's a dentist or one of the team members uh, on team and, you know, really taking a keen interest in uh, the systemization of processes in the practice. Uh, really coming up with strategy to compete in today's competitive markets with, you know, uh, consolidation taking place in the industry. There's all kinds of stuff going on. So I was so interested in that as well. So and, Justin, yeah. I'm, I'm, I need to unpack what you told me because this is, this yeah. is really, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, I think there's yeah. a lot of a lot of value to what we what you're saying. So how did you know this is the career path for you? I mean, many owners, you know, they love the dentistry. Uh, you know, they love the patient care. But they struggle with the management. They struggle with running the business. It's stressful, you know. So how did you know that I love being a dentist and I love being a business owner? Tell me about that, that, you know, discovery phase. I think there's few people who have stories like when I was young, I just loved going to the dentist or I had this injury or my uncle and then my other uncle and my dad and my grandfather and everyone's a dentist and that was my path. The majority of people go into dentistry when I talk to 
you know, a thousand plus dentists a year. And so the majority of people, when you ask them, it's because a, uh, they enjoyed science, right? They, it was either dentistry or medicine for them in a way. Right. And they didn't want to go through medicine or some residency. They wanted to work with their hands. They enjoyed the idea that they could improve people's self-confidence and, and also there's a significance aspect, right? People like to be called Dr. X and they like the significance and we want that. And, <laughs> and so there's those things. And then there's the financial side where they know that, look, I'm going to make good money and I'm going to be able to get out and support myself and live the lifestyle I want. Um, and so I think that's how most people start. And all of those things is what I thought about as well, right? Uh, you know, great job security, great way for me to help people. And then I was educated early on in understanding that, hey, there's a lot of options here for you. You know, you could, as a dentist, you don't just have to be in the dental chair, although you could do that indefinitely. You could start doing other things like owning multiple practices or even just slowing down in the chair and having people work at your practice um, so that, that you can focus on some of the other things that are, that are fun to do. Now, to answer your question, this idea of, you know, how did you know? I don't think anyone really knows until you get started. See, I think most of us try to think our way through things <laughs> too much. We try to think and think and think. And I think the really the thing is to take action you know, speed of implementation, get going, uh, and then put things in certain buckets. I love this. I dislike this. I love this. I dislike this. And guess what you're going to find out? Most of the things you love come generally easy to you. Right. Most of the things you don't do not. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then that helps you divide, d develop your strengths and weaknesses and you get more self-awareness, better self-awareness, better choices, better results in my opinion. And so the, the, that self-awareness helped me. I started to realize what I was good at and what I wasn't. That helped me on the clinical side where I started to, you know, I did less orthodontics and more surgery. Mm. I did implants and sinus lifts and IV sedation and these things. And I started to realize I, I enjoy that more. And that's more fun for me than doing a class two composite, for example. So, you know, I started to find that in the clinical side. And on the business side, I started to realize, hey, I love people. I love uh, growth. I love progress. I love being able to go out there and form relationships with other dentists and help form strategic partnerships with them where, hey, they love the clinical. I, I, you know, I'm doing less of it. Uh, they want support because they don't want to deal with the rest. And we're able to, you know, have a partnership, um, you know, like family, uh, not like a large corporate, uh, you know, chain. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but not what we're doing. We're very much a dental partnership uh, company. We're very much family oriented. And no matter how big we get, our goal is to feel small. So. Okay. So I want you to, you know, um, I mean, you know, and, and one owner that owns one practice that if they take one week off, you can see, you know, production tanks. Okay. Yeah, sure. Walk me through the steps of, okay, you know, I, I, I need to manage a business. I need the HR piece. I need the processes, the systems, but I cannot step away from the chair side. <laughs> right. That, you know, and I don't want to work the weekends, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so there's a cup, there's two sides to that coin. Okay. And there's one side that I think everyone's going to enjoy hearing. And there's the other side that half the people will say, yeah, sure. That's great. And the other half will ignore me. Cause I, I, you know, having talked to so many dentists, I, I get a percept, uh, you get very perceptive about this stuff. The first side is, you know, the reason why we're so tied to the chair is cause we, uh, we're keeping up with the Joneses all the time. I think we're spending more than we need to. Uh, quite frankly. And it's social pressure too. You tell someone you're a dentist or a doctor and everyone thinks you're rich, you know? And so uh, nobody understands the reality of it. And uh, 
and all the, the costs that come with being that. And look, I, I'm not uh, I'm not complaining. I'm not saying anyone uh, should feel sorry for, for for doctors or anything like that. But it's not easy to earn your living. And so and nor is everyone rich. And so um, I think the most important thing is to say, look, like really decide what's important to you. And you, know, you don't have to keep up with your friends. You don't have to, you know, uh, buy the latest of everything that comes out, the best cars and things like this, because at the end of the day, your freedom is going to come from a maximizing your earning potential. So investing in yourself through CE and other things and learning how to run your business so you can increase the amount of money you make every year. That's objective number one. Perfect. Objective number two is to save a portion of that and invest. And we, we won't get into the investment rabbit hole, but you have to do that because where does passive income come from? Otherwise, you're tied to the chair for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And so investments can come in various forms. And I think the best one for most dentists is their practice or a portion of a practice. That's the one they're going to have the most control and influence over. And then all the other ones, not so much. So I think, I think it's important for them to do that. And, and before we move on here real quick, I just want to say, you asked me specifically, how did they make that decision? Well, once they know what they need to earn in a year, once they know what they want for their lifestyle um, and how much they need to save, et cetera, well, we need to figure out and reverse engineer the math, right? That's where guys with your brain come in and we say, look, I need to make this much money. This is what I produce. Uh, this is where I'm at today. This is how many days a year we are open. This is when I'm going to close. This is what I'm going to do, say, Ian, you come up with a number. So you say, okay, I need $300,000 or something. I don't know, after, uh, you know, or before tax income, perhaps, or whatever. So you come up with that number, you know, maybe it's a lot higher, maybe it's lower. I'm just throwing something rough out there. And when you know the number of days, uh, you know, when you know your practice numbers, like your profit and loss statement inside out, and you know uh, how much income you're going to take home from that, um, and you also know how many days you're going to work. Well, you can see that you can come up with numbers here. I'll give you one number. If you're working 200 days a year um, and you, you come up with a daily production goal, well, now you know what you got to produce. So that week that you're off, it doesn't matter if production tanks because you're meeting your consistent goals throughout. So it's, it's this irrational fear that dentists have that if I leave, my practice will fall apart. Well, you're right that in the event that you don't um, set things up right, have the right team, have the right systems in place, that could happen. But here's the reality. Reality is it's going to do just fine without you uh, as long as you plan in advance to set that up. It, it really will. And I'm proof of that. Uh, you know, I, I lived in Florida for two years while their practices were running just fine. Now, I wasn't sitting on a beach. I was working on them and, and interacting and doing stuff. But who runs their practices from Florida and they're up in Canada, right? Absolutely. So what I'm hearing from you is you, you need to slow down to speed up. And the slowing down is by education and 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 professional development. Uh, mm -hmm. Tell me, tell me a little bit more about you know the non-clinical education and professional development that you you were part yeah. of. Yeah, so much, Mo. And I think you know I, I have a lot of clients through my uh, coaching company, right? As you know, I have high performance practice, um, which is a coaching company, and so. I talk to dentists from all over the place and mostly in North America, all the way from, you know, New York to California and up, you know, towards Canada and all over the place. So the, it, it gives me this uh, unique perspective um, on what people are doing out there. And I would say in terms of non-business, the, the, the one thing before we talk about what education to get is to really ask yourself if you want it, quite frankly. You know, I honestly, in my heart, believe that any dentist can do it. They can do both the clinical and the dentistry. I think they can all do it. There's no shortage of intelligence. There's no shortage of intellect or anything. The reality is, do you want to do right. it? Is it, do you want to do what it <laughs> takes? 
And I think that's the message I try to share is here's what it takes. And a lot of this stuff is not going to be fun. It's going to tear you away from family and you know, give you sleepless nights. <laughs> and, you know, it, it sucks sometimes. And so, you know, you have to be a particular type of individual for that. And so I think if you're not and you're being honest with yourself, then the best thing to do is to form strategic partnerships. Like I wouldn't bother going out there and trying to learn everything about business if you're not interested at right. all. I just right. wouldn't. So the other half of you who are saying, no, 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 I want to learn. Well, then I would start with leadership type training. Okay. I would start with things like leadership training, communication training, right? Just basic stuff where you can learn how to lead effectively, how to communicate effectively. And there's tons of different books on stuff like this, right? I mean, you just Google leadership books. <laughs> you will have a plethora. I don't have a favorite. I've read a bunch. You take the best, you leave the rest. The information is out there, right? I, I like it. there's no, we know if we want to become effective business owners, we need to become better leaders, better communicators, better business operators. And so operations of business, the business can be chunked down into bite-sized pieces, right? We can take it down and distill it down into bite-sized pieces, figure out where the problems are within those bite-sized pieces, and then come up with solutions for those, you know, micro problems. And in doing that, you know, uh, you come up with uh, systems and processes and uh, strategies to resolve problems that are in your business. And so th th that's where the nitty gritty happens. And I think the easiest way to do that is to find someone who's further ahead of the timeline than you. Like forget the books, forget whatever. Read, you can read the book in a weekend, but you need somebody who's going to be with you to help you do it and help you through it. Right. And so that's either your strategic partner, that's either a coach or consultant that you trust, or it's somebody who's neither of those things and they have practices of their own and they just want to share. Right. There's plenty of kind hearted dentists who just want to share. So that right there, if you take nothing else away from this and you're thinking, I want to learn more about business, remember those three resources, right? And uh, take those away because that's the key. Um, you really just want to be um, connecting with the people that have already done I, it. I, I love this. Ab absolutely. I mean, there is no shortage of knowledge for whoever is seeking it, right? <laughs> you know? Too much information. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, Justin, your clinics are run by the team. Okay. More mainly. mainly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah. tell me more about that. I mean, how involved are you? How um, how do you trust yourself to give up control? Right. I mean, dentists love yeah. control. Right. You know. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Talk to me about this. Yeah. So everyone, you know, as human beings, I think we're wired to have some degree of certainty, right? And all of us have different uh, risk tolerances. And I think if we have a pretty low risk tolerance, we don't want anything to go the way we don't want it to go. Then we have more control that we need to exert. And um, that control uh, then becomes uh, micromanagement. And that micromanagement then becomes decrease in time with family and leisure and all those sorts of things and becomes stress and anxiety and overwhelm. And you're like, I'm done. <laughs> and so <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. And so, uh, you know, I, I just didn't want to uh, go down that road. And so um, I, I enjoy control. I like to, I like to, you know, make sure that I can get a certain outcome, you know, like everyone else, I love to cap the downside. So what do we do? How do we do this? Well, I'd love to say there's a simple method and I'd love to say that every week is the same, but that's, <laughs> that would not be the truth. And I like to be very transparent with folks. So am I able to have a team run practice? Absolutely. I, I am involved in the day-to-day -day operations on a micro level, very, very little, okay? 
Um, now, um, what does that require though? It requires great people who you work with, okay? Who have opposite skill sets to you. So I'm, I'm very much vision, strategy, um, and, and um, leadership, culture development, bringing fresh ideas and things of this nature. Uh, I'm very good at helping connect everyone and, and level people up. So these are just some of the things. There's other people, so I call these door openers or, or, or uh, you know, in, folks that like to open right. doors. Then there's people who love to close doors, okay, or close <laughs> loops. For them, they want you to give them something and they want to see it finished, right? right? For those folks, if they have too many doors open, it's mm -hmm. panic. They want, to they want to close a chapter, open another. And there's, they're just wonderful, gifted people mm -hmm. in their own way. So if you are a loop closer, you love to close doors, it would be wise for you to have a strategic partner who's more of a visionary strategy, mm -hmm. whatever, or at least have a coach who could help you with that part. If you're a visionary strategist door opener, you definitely want loop closers because you won't get anything right. done. You'll have tons of enthusiasm, <laughs> momentum, and chaos. But when you look behind you, there's a paper trail of garbage, right? <laughs> so, I love that so, analogy. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. And I think so the most important thing for us to do is to realize who are we on there. And people say, I'm a little of both. No problem. But most people are more of one than another. And I think if you're being honest with yourself, you can figure that out. So once you figured that out, I think you need to assemble a team of people around you who have the opposite skill set mm -hmm. to some extent. The majority of people you want in your team should be loop closers, mm -hmm. right? They should be loop closers. And there's personality assessments you can do and surveys you can do uh, that we try to find loop closers as often as possible. Is it perfect? No, but we have a very low turnover rate. Um, we, we, uh, we generally, um, have team members who are very competent, but it comes in this way. So number one is find the right folks, uh, that are loop closers. Number two is you got to have a process mm. to train them. Like if I can't show them what it is we expect of them, then you can't expect much from right. them. And so we have a documented training process and we're, we're doing better and better. It's revised every quarter, every year as systems change and processes change. So those things um, are important. You have to have it documented or you have to have a method by which you're going to put someone in a, in a position and train them up so that they can work to the standard. And is that across the board? Like, you know, you're like you're your front desk, assistants, hygienists, or is that everywhere? Everywhere. Perfect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we could do better in some areas. Um, like, you know, uh, right now we're revamping hygiene. Um, we're revamping uh, some of the RDA training, but, you know, I would say it's pretty good. Like it's overall pretty good. And, so, you know, we want training in place because we need to teach folks the basics. I call it setting people up for success, mm -hmm. right? If we hire someone, don't explain to them, A, what we want, B, why it's important they do it that way. Ding, ding, ding. Remember why. Okay. If they don't know why it's important, they right. won't do it that way. And then three, how to do it. Okay. And then four, how we're going to measure if it's done right. Now, there's not measurements for everything, but there are for some things. How we're going to assess performance. Well, now you're onto something. Now you have somebody you have set up for success. And so I didn't know this stuff in the beginning. I learned this over the years and through mistakes. I mean, the, the, the first, you know, 40 team members I had in, in my early days, uh, you know, there's some of them still with me, most of them not. And, you know, they're probably, you know, uh, just, uh, just glad they left at that time. And so the, the reality is you progress and grow and my leadership has improved over the years. And, uh, I'm not afraid to admit that I, you know, I, I think uh, it's growing every day. I'm learning something new every day. So once I've done that, I stay out of people's way. 
I really do. I don't get micro with them. I meet with them on a weekly basis, the leadership team. I talk with them on a weekly basis. So that could be the equivalent of your mm -hmm. office manager. It could be your lead hygienist, your lead RDA, whoever, meet with them once a week. And, and then on top of all that, I like to keep, because we're bigger now, it's not like we can have a relationship with every right, person right. in the practice, or at least I can't. It's hard for me to do that. But um, we want them to know they're genuinely cared for. And that's something that we just are. That's who we are. We're not using them as employees for means to an end. We actually want them to have a rewarding career. And we want them to be happy in the environment they're in. And we want the doctors and the team members to have connected relationships with each other. And so we lead by example in that way. And that is a, that's a big deal. So team run practices is all of that, what I just said, with one more caveat. And that is, if it's just you, it's one thing. But if you have partners, you want partners who are, who are like that as well. Like I have partners who I love, you know, and care for, and we trust each other and you know, they couldn't do things without me and I couldn't do things without them. And so it takes, you know how they say it takes a village to raise yeah, a child, yeah. right? And so the, the practice is a child and it does take a small village. And so that small village is your team. And uh, you know that if you want a village that's successful and thrives and enjoy, you know, they're, they're happy, it's, you need a positive culture there and you need relationships and connectivity. And so um, you know, th that's really it, man. So, uh, I mean, I mean not to it. get into the nitty gritty details of running the practice, but explain yeah. to me how the dynamic between decision making and authority between, you know, the team, the maybe let's say call it yeah. the managing uh, partner or the dentist and yourself. So how, explain to me that dynamic. Yeah. So we have removed basically uh, um, this. We have centralized management now where we have a regional manager. We have someone in charge of HR payroll, someone doing marketing. Okay. And so they all have their lanes. They deal with all things HR payroll related, all things regional management related. And there's a list mm. of responsibilities and all things marketing related. And then I meet with all those folks. And then in the offices, the principal job of the partner doc is to just do dentistry, right? But also participate in their morning huddle or their month-end meetings, and also to communicate with the regional manager from time to time so that they can connect and say, hey, this is what's going on in the office. These are my frustrations, right. et cetera. The regional manager also connects with the lead uh, in the practice. So the office manager, for example, and wants to talk to them and understand what's going on there. So th those interactions are important. With respect to specific decision-making frameworks, we have given our regional managers and empowered them to make decisions. And they're very clear what mm -hmm. decisions they can make. When in doubt, they send an email mm -hmm. and they ask. The owner operators of the practice have full autonomy to do what they would like, but we again have shown them systems that work and they don't wanna do a lot of that. So that gets taken off their lap. What they're mainly doing is relationship building and leading their team. And that's something you can never get away from. If you're in the office doing dentistry, you're going to be there. You got to connect with your team and you have to understand the systems we use and the processes we use so you can help your team use those right, processes, right. right? So, so you can ask me a more granular question if that doesn't answer it, but um, this topic, it's pretty complex. So I don't want to... Uh, no, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, it just the the setup of this. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure it takes a lot of effort, a lot of trial and error, a lot of training. Yeah. And you know, what I'm hearing from you is you trust the system and you trust the people. And in my what I'm hearing mm -hmm. are they equal or how, how do you evaluate? Is it system first or people? 
I think the people are number one because I think I honestly think if you have the the uh, you know people on board that are great people who actually care who want to grow, they'll mm. figure out a way, right? Like they'll just figure out a way and they'll come to you with a system, right? Um, so, but I do think having a system is helpful because you set them up for success and you know you make it a lot easier and why put the burden on them to go find a system when there's a hundred thousand people who have already done it before you and it's been working. So just go swipe the system, right? Like we don't need to reinvent the wheel here. Like there's systems that work already. And so just take the system and run the system. And so to me, that makes the most sense. It's like, you know, you go to a course or a program to learn how to do great class two composites or crown preparations or whatever, right? There's a thousand dentists out there that do a great job, but they all do it a thousand (laughs) different ways. And so just pick one of those and just do that. And so I think, um, I think what's important is, uh, the people, uh, first, because you can have a great system, you can have the best system in the world, but people with, with not the right mindset attitude or, or ownership mentality, or, you know, love, affection and care for the patients and and the rest of their team. And the system doesn't work. Absolutely. Right. We, we've all got the wrong order at McDonald's. And so you can't tell me that it's only systems driven. <laughs> so, you know, um, how, how do you create purpose for the team and for yourself, you know, that everybody just, you know, row in the same direction? Yeah, so I think purpose and passion is a recipe for anxiety and disaster in most people's <laughs> life, to be frank. <laughs> okay, maybe that's what you're looking for. Let me explain. So I think this idea of saying, what is your purpose? What is your passion? You force people to actually have to find something. And that is stressful. It's like, how are you supposed to think your way through what you're passionate about? Really? You know? And so, yeah, I love to play music or I love to travel and I love to do this. Well, great. Well, now do that day in, day out. Okay. And make it a job and now figure out, try to figure out a way to monetize it and tell me how much you (laughs) like it. Okay. You're going to like it about half the time. And so in my opinion, I think the best way to find your passion or your purpose is just to do a lot of stuff, you know, like get out there and do a lot of stuff. So we're all talking to dentists now. If you're already a dentist, well, too late, right? We're not going to start asking you to look in the rearview mirror. What I'm going to ask you to do is say, do a bunch of different dental procedures. Just do them all. Don't be afraid. Get in there and do it. Take a bunch of courses and programs. Go visit different types of dentists who have different types of practices and have lunch with them or dinner with them, you know, and uh, go and... um, uh, go and work with sophisticated business operators, see what part of that you love. Right. And so we are passionate and feel purposeful when one thing has happened, we mm. have gotten good at something. Right. Okay. So if you get good at something, oh man, do you feel passionate? Okay. And until you are, you don't. So I think the best thing to do is we have a wonderful profession, unless you absolutely hate everything to do with people <laughs> in dentistry then I would say you can find your passion within this profession, just even doing chair work, like in the chair, you can do it doing that mm-hmm. five days a week, if you like six, seven, I don't care. It's up to you. But the point is you can find passion in anything. And it's because you get good at something. When you get good at something, you're passionate. Now, what is purpose? Well, I think our whole purpose in life for everyone should be pretty much the same. It should be to basically enjoy your life and live a fulfilled life. That should be our purpose. You know, figure out a way to be fulfilled. What else, what other purpose could we possibly have on this earth? You know, that's my that's my take on it. I don't think we need to get complicated here. And I think there's too much uh, business out there and money being made on trying to help people find these things in their lives. And I think the answer is right I, there. I, I love this. I'm I'm gonna circle back to the to the team because I, I think I think it, you know it's it's really important. It's it's very unique. 
So, you know, sure. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you have your metrics, your dashboards, um, you know, do you look at things daily, weekly, monthly? Like, what, what, how do you make sure, like, you have a pulse on your practices and make sure that everything is, is working as it should? Yeah, so great question. So uh, metrics for sure, right? Uh, we have approximately 10 or 12 different measures that we take. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, well, it's not about the metrics. It's not about the numbers. Well, look, if you're trying to lose weight and you never, uh, you know, let's say jump on a scale, you know, how do you know what your progress really is? Like, I don't know if you've tried to lose 10 pounds and not weighed yourself. It's There's hard. no motivation. <laughs> but, you know, like it's pretty hard. It's like, where's my progress? And so, so I think, I think you, you need to, you know, uh, you need to uh, have numbers in place because it's the idea of knowing how you're doing. You know, what's funny. You, we think our team members would rather just come in, clock in, clock out, and never really hear from us. But really, they're all right. dying for feedback. Everyone wants to know they're doing a good job because becoming good at what you're doing and becoming the best at what you're doing is mm -hmm. passion. It gives you purpose. And so I think metrics help people align to that passion and purpose because now they say, oh, like I'm doing really good and I'm hitting these targets and these numbers. And so that makes me good. I'll give you an example. So if you're a hygienist and we're measuring your billings per hour and your reappointment rate, meaning the, the number of people who book back right. after their last hygiene appointment. Okay. You saw hundred patients this month, a hundred book back. That's hundred percent. So billings per hour and those people would say, well, that's just all about money then. And well, that would be a very mm. simplistic point of view and, uh, and seeking clarification would be wise. So let me give it here. Number one, billings per hour. What do the, the, the hygienists that bill mm. the most, provided it's ethical, uh, what do they have in common? Number one, they treat scaling and root planning mm. as a prescription, meaning not everyone gets two units of X, Y, and Z and booked for an hour. People are, they're right. customized treatment plans. They do adjunct procedures that they know patients need, mm. right? That can benefit patients. Uh, these hygienists are excellent with the, the tactical skill and the ability to do a great job. And they're very good at building Absolutely. interpersonal skills. Lastly, these hygienists are wonderful at talking about oral systemic connection or helping patients understand why coming in when you have six millimeter pockets or five millimeter pockets, why coming in every four months or three months is better than the one year or six month recall that's paid for. Why you should come in and pay out of pocket because it matters. So that's what the billings per hour tells us. It tells us which of these hygienists is actually a great hygienist overall. Not to say the ones that aren't uh, doing as well are not great. They just need some mentorship and maybe some more confidence to present to patients in a confident way. And the way that confidence is established is through this. education. I, and so I, I, that's the key, right? So without that metric, how do right, you know right, who's no, who? Absolutely. So, I, I mean, um, tell me about motivation. Right. And, 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 you know, motivation is, is, I mean, you have your metrics, you know, you hope everything is, is in the green zone, you know, and sometimes you just need to step in, interfere, you know, how do you mot motivate your team to do their best? Yeah. So I don't think, you know, years ago, I used to think you could motivate people. I think you can, but it takes far too much effort and nobody has the time. <laughs> so, you know, we can't right. all be Tony Robbins all the time, right? That's not our job. Uh, and so, so, but what I will say is if you are thoughtful in hiring people and getting to know your team and, and you weed out the people who are mm. not motivated in general, 
Yeah. These are just not motivated human beings. You can do nothing for them. And that may sound terrible, but if you're not somewhat intrinsically motivated, the chances are you're not going to be motivated by me. And so, you know, um, so what is the purpose of me spending time on that? I used to, I used to spend endless hours trying to level people up and motivate them only to sacrifice my own energy, me become resentful because you spend so much time and they're not doing anything. So I like to work with the right canvas, right? Like if you're going to, you know, chop wood, you want a sharp ax, right? There's no point in not sharpening your ax. You're just going to be kicking yourself in the butt afterwards. So why not actually have the appropriate canvas? Why not have a sharp ax? Why not have team members who are actually eager to do their best? And so that comes in the interview process. Are they all going to be like that? No. But if the majority of people you have on board really mm. actually want to do their best, like they want to do their best. They enjoy being a good practitioner or great receptionist or really good at treatment coordination. They just enjoy the human interaction and touch and want to help improve people's lives. Well, they're going right. to respond to a metric. <laughs> the other ones won't. And so I don't think motivating people should be our job. We need to find people who, are, who do have some level of intrinsic motivation. And this is why I think uh, overall bonus systems, for example, mm, don't generally That, that was going to be my follow-up question, but you, I guess you answered, you, you, you answered that for me. So, I mean, every dentist you know, right now is struggling with staff. I mean, you know, HR recruiting is, is a struggle, right? You know, how, how do you find motivated people? I mean, you know, what, what, what do you guys do? We're all going through the same stuff right now. This is a unique time. You know, people use the word unprecedented mm -hmm. for things that they can't <laughs> explain. Okay. So an unprecedented time, like never before. It's a fancy way of saying, I have no clue what's going on right now. And so, or what is going to happen next? And so, you know, um, what does that mean? It means... We're, we're going to run into problems. There's money being printed. There's all kinds of things happening that are influencing who's coming back to work or who's not. Okay. Uh, people are always going to take a free ride over the, the uh, uh, you know, need to go to work, especially if their basic needs are being met. And so there's stuff like that. But then there's also people that maybe want profession changes. You know, you, when you're in the middle of a pandemic, it's never the time to, you know, really go through this existential crisis type thing. Like it's better to just stay emotionally <laughs> stable and just write it out. And when it's all said and done, let's see if we still have the same problems. Okay. So uh, I don't believe we will. I think a year from now, when things are a distant memory and people are traveling again and socializing and high-fiving and hugging each other and uh, able to date again, and uh, you know, they're not all um, in emotional turmoil. I think we're going to see people with bigger smiles, people who realize that they do want to come to work and we're going to see increases in applications mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. That's my belief. That is my belief. And I think this is transient. So how do we do it? We just keep on doing what we're doing. It's a struggle, right? You know, we put out uh, an ad in the past, you know, let's say two years ago, we'd put out an ad or a year and a half ago, uh, and we would get right. uh, dozens of applications and now yeah, maybe yeah. two. And so, so, you know, even though you're competitive with wages, even though you're competitive with uh, incentive packages, even though you're competitive with, um, let's say, flexibility of hours and vacation time, the end of the day, right. the applicant pool is just not there. You, you can't get people to apply if they don't want to apply. There's nothing you can say to change that. So I think we're going to, if anyone out there is saying, oh, we have no problems with it at all. Like just walk in the other direction because man, you're like, it's, it's definitely a struggle across the board. And so everyone's yeah, having yeah. a problem. No, I have, absolutely. Absolutely. 
you, you know, Justin, uh, what I'm hearing from you, just as you know, this conversation is is you know, uh, we're we're in the middle of this conversation. You know, a lot of dentists uh, they work until retirement, running their practice. You know, chair side. Um, you know, the business is probably generating you know a twenty five percent return. Not not a bad return, but the only exit strategy is to sell the practice, right? They sell the practice, walk out, you know, walk away yeah. with a few million dollars. Um, you know, if they go and put it in the stock market or maybe in real estate, it's just not going to generate a 25% return. I mean, it's going to be very hard. But what I'm hearing from you is you have a different, or, or a, you know, a, there's a different path, which is build a practice, run it, be effective in how you run it, and then you have options, whether to sell, yeah. whether to keep. And, you know, tell me more about this. Like, how do you see it? Well, you know, to me, it's 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 simple. I'm not um, the brightest or sharpest tool in the shed, right? I, so I mean, you, have a, you have a track simple, record here, but <laughs> who's counting? <laughs> no, no, if there's any gray zone or ambiguity, I don't get it. And so... I, that's why I like to ask a lot of questions and I love being the dumbest guy in the room. And so it's, it's <laughs> chapter 10 of my book, in fact. So, um, so, so what, what I mean by that is this, I think it's, we get two, we get this shiny object syndrome, the grass is greener syndrome. We start thinking, Hey, so-and-so made this much money in stocks and, you know, maybe I should be Warren Buffett and, you know, uh, the, my other buddy opened up, uh, you know, a, a subway and he's got three and he's doing great. No, I don't know. Right. What you're thinking about. But the reality is this. The best thing you can do is always get your house in order, meaning whatever the predominant source of income is that you have should be maximized. OK, your your spending should be minimized so as to have greater liquidity for investment. In other words, Make more, spend less, and then invest, okay? And you definitely want to earn, save, and invest simultaneously. Mm. You definitely want to do this. But it, the, the best investment you're going to make is in your own personal productivity, right? Becoming more productive as a dentist in the most ethical way you know possible. And so, the, the, you know, that just means only doing things that need to be uh, done, but learning two things. More, taking more courses and programs on how to do certain procedures. And two... Um, learning how to actually get patients right. to do those procedures, right? And, you know, and then and actually have the impact you need to have. And then I guess the third one is understanding the business side. And if you don't want to get a strategic partner, right? Or, or work with someone, you know, it's not wrong to just associate and just work with someone and never own. That's okay too, if you want that. But if you want ownership and you want something that you can have as an investment long-term, it makes sense to, uh, to get out there and do that. And the returns on that... Um, they're not passive returns. So we can't mix it up right. with like an index fund, right? For example, like let's, let's compare apples to apples here. And so um, we're not talking about you putting money automated monthly into some index fund and, uh, you know, or dollar cost averaging from now until you're 70 years old, hoping to have a lot of money. You know, that's a different ballgame. This is like, you got to roll your sleeves right. up and get to work, right? And so it's an investment, but it is not a passive investment. And even if you try to take more, more time away from it um, and start to just become the owner hat, wearing the operator hat, not doing dentistry like I am. And, and that's involved. the key that I so, wanted to highlight uh, was, you know, yeah. right. You know, that you're, you run yeah. your practice remotely. You, um, 
you know, you do, you know, you have your business consultancy, you have a lot of things, which is great because it gave you the time to do these things, but it's, it's not an autopilot. Right. No, no. And I think autopilot is one of those terms that people sell to make it seem like you can sit on a beach and just <laughs> have money raining down. Right. And so, so it's a great marketing term, right? Like uh, you can have your office on autopilot and, uh, and this can be the dream you've always wanted. You, you actually don't have to go in and I live in Florida and I only work two days a month. I could say that, right? It's true. I mean, those are all true statements, but but when you start unpeeling it, you have to understand that I don't just work two days a month. When Tim Ferriss wrote the book, Four Hour Work Week, he did not intend <laughs> for people to take it literally. And so, you know, that's just not a reality. I mean, what he's trying to say is you can do whatever you're doing in a lot less time and have more freedom and, and a life. And you can, I believe that. And so I think the key to realize is the more discipline you become, the more freedom right. you get. Okay. As weird as that sounds, the more disciplined you become, the more freedom you get. And here's why you're disciplined about focusing on your business. Now, nothing else. It's the business and your family, of course, and things, but I'm focused on growth of this business. That is my goal. And I'm going to sprint towards that goal. I'm not going to one day wake up and want to become a rock star or the other day, wish I went into ortho school or whatever. Okay. This is what I'm doing. And if you stay disciplined and focused, you achieve great things. That's how our brain and operating system is hardwired to basically give us what we I, focus on. Look around in your life. I Everything you have this. is because you focus you know, on uh, it, The right? noise that is around us, you know, from different ideas, different things. I want to do this. I want to do that. It's crazy. And, and that discipline and focus is, yep. it's, I mean, this is really valuable lesson. And I think, you know, uh, but by you doing, you know, all of this, it took a lot of discipline. It took a lot of, you know, you know, talk to me a little bit more about how do you block the noise? How do you identify this is noise or this is, no, I need, this is important. I need to focus on this. A simple question. I was terrible at this. I'm a lot better now. So for example, if it's business related, you have to ask yourself, is this task, is this idea, is this thought or let's call a distraction going to bring me closer to the goal I am focused on or potentially further away? And if the answer is potentially further away, even an inkling of that, well, it's done. It's not worth my time. Why? You know, we could only insert so much time uh, with distraction time in place. So if you're really clear on the goal, right? Like the, 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 the it's so beautiful because it's so simple. You pick the goal, you stay focused on the goal. You don't <laughs> quit till the goal is accomplished. The that's three it. step formula. <laughs> and, and, and that's it. Everything else, and you know it, you're a successful guy. Everyone listening who's a dentist already completed dental school, right? Like, like. Yeah, you want to throw in the towel sometimes. Yeah, you wish it was half the amount of time. And yes, you're learning a bunch of stuff that's not practically applicable. And you're not enjoying your days sometimes. And you're, you know, you maybe don't like all your classmates. But at the end of the day, you graduated, right? And you're better for it. So you didn't say yes to chiropractic school or medical school at the same time or halfway through. You didn't start to try to open a business or invest in stocks halfway through. You just focused on the degree and you got the degree. Now it's time for you to apply that same discipline to the growth of the practice. I, I, I and, love this. Um, and just the, the landscape of dentistry, especially in Canada, is changing. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of consolidation in the market, right? What, what is your advice for, you know, uh, a, a practice owner 
how can they stand out? What what is this? Is that a threat? Is that an opportunity? You know, how, how do you see it from your perspective? It's both. It's both a threat and an opportunity. And so it's a threat if you uh, don't if you think it's just here as a fad and it's going to go away. It's a threat. Uh, if you recognize that it's here to stay and consolidation is only going to grow, it's only going to continue to progress until it finally stabilizes, right? Like you take medicine in the United States or you take, uh, you know, law or whatever, mm. you know, it's like 50-50, right? And now, you know, consolidated group type practices versus owner operator cottage industries type stuff. It's like about 50-50. And so I, I think that's where dentistry will head as well. It'll be about 50-50 at some point, maybe 15, 20, 30 years from now. But that's where it's headed. Mm. Consolidation will not slow down. There, there's no reason for it to. There's tremendous benefit to the people consolidating um, and actually to many of the more than just financial. There's just working with other folks can be beneficial to you. So I think it's important to recognize it's not going away. And so, yes, if you're not going to adapt to the times and yeah, this is going to be a threat to you for sure, because you're going to get better and more sophisticated business operators competing with you and they're not going anywhere. They're only increasing by the day. And so if you're not going to get with the program, then you should feel threatened. Um, if you are going to get with the program and you're going to start putting in the work required to do what you need to do to compete, uh, then I think you're going to be just fine. And there's tremendous opportunity. So let's talk about opportunity because it's positive. The first opportunity is for you to actually grow a business that now most there's a many mm -hmm. folks that want to buy it from you at some point. Right. Like if you decide you do want to go and, you know, live that hobby and just work as an associate dentist three days a week now for the rest of your life or two days a week for the rest of your life, you could grow a great practice, sell it and have some money sitting around to buy you that time. Maybe that buys you three or four years in your career where you don't have to do anything and you really get to live that life you wanted and realize the grass isn't greener. I mean, the reality is it just buys you time. So if you can build a great practice, there's a tremendous number of buyers who will pay you good money for these practices, provided you know right. how to build a profitable practice, right? You can do that very ethically so and very systematically. So the opportunity is, I mean, build it, you know, to sell or or, or build it to keep it and, or and, and, keep and it. you know, run it in a way that yeah. is profitable, yeah. you know, for, for the owner, um, you know. But uh, I, mean, exactly. I, I do like your model. I, I think your model uh, is, is amazing because in my opinion that that pressure that, okay, I, I am tired of the five, you know, or six days a week of working, you know, I can have a practice that, you know, I still own, I still run, but I'm not pressured, you know, to be there every single day. And I can, you know, uh, do the things that I enjoy, whether it's consulting, whether it's, you know, doing doing other things. You know, uh, Justin, I want to wrap up here with the, uh, you know, fulfillment, uh, you know, uh, formula. I, I know we talked about this a while ago and, I, and it, 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 it really intrigued me. So I want to, circle back to that sure yeah so the fulfillment formula is something uh my wife and i created together because as i mentioned earlier i think what everyone's purpose should be is to create fulfillment in their life and um and i think if that is your sole purpose then i think you're on the right track and so what is full fulfillment? It's different for every person. And so we had to come up with our own formula for that. What does it mean for the Buller family? So, so it's a bunch of F words, right? None of them derogatory. Um, 
And uh, the first, the first F word um, is family, meaning connecting with your family, you know, being there for them, no matter what you do, no matter what your ambitions, you always make time for the family. And so being very disciplined about creating time for the family and, um, you know, working on that relationship, you know, marriage is not easy. Having kids is not easy. Having business is not easy, you know, and, and none of this is easy. So we got the trifecta going on here, right? And that's enough to make most people cry. And the reality is there's so many people in our same boat, business, marriage, family, uh, kids, sorry. And I think the, the key is really to just define what you want each of those to be and just work towards them. It's going to be good and it's going to be bad sometimes. And the reality is if you know what's important to you, you won't compromise and you'll stay focused, right? So family is very, very important to me. And I think uh, the sometimes... <clears throat> when we're overworking or doing a little too much, the kind of the lie that we sell ourselves is, you know, I'm doing this for my kids because we had a tough life and we want their life to be easy. Well, be careful what you sell yourself because number one, it's not true. You know, like the fact that you are who you are is because your life was hard. <laughs> why are we trying to make our kids' lives easy, right? I mean, why on earth do we want to do that? What kind of growth and progress comes from easy, you know, everything being easy. And so, you know, I get what parents are saying because I'm guilty of it too. I want it to be a better life than mine. I do. And the way to do that is to lead by example with right. the kids, not just give them everything. Okay. The best thing your kids are going to be the best version of themselves is for you to be the best version of yourself. So, so family is number one on the list. Number two is fitness, mental and physical fitness. So take care of your brain, take care of your mind. Uh, take care of your body. You know, if somebody told you, this is Warren Buffett, I heard from him a long time ago. Warren says, you know, if somebody told you that you could pick any car you want, go ahead and pick your dream car, whatever that car is, then you pick it. You're going to have a lot of fun doing that. But then they say, you know what? This is the only car you're going to get to drive for the rest of your life. What are you going to do? You're going to put gas in it right on time, get the oil changes two months early, whatever, right? Now, of course, that's not reality, but the reality is that you're, you only have one brain and one body. And if you don't take care of that, that's yeah. the only one you're getting. There is no replacement. And <laughs> you talk about biohacking and nutrition all day long. The bottom line is you, if you're doing damage, you're doing damage and you're just not going to be as energetic as you need to be. And so the third, the third is um, um, finances. Mm. Okay. So finances means get your money right. Okay. Get your money right. So I'll leave it at that. Um, the fourth one is, um, is freedom. So freedom to do work, be with people and in places that bring you some level of joy, right? Now, is that always going to be the case? Do I love my work 24 seven? No. Uh, do I love much of it? Yes. Do I love being <laughs> with my kids all the time? No, God, no. But do I, do I just absolutely love being with them much of the time? Right. hundred percent. Same goes for all these things. Okay. So you want to be around people who bring you uh, some level of you want to, sorry, establish a life that gives you some level of freedom to bring in the types of things you want to bring in. Uh, the, the other is, um, is to create some level of fun in your life. Okay. That's the other F fun and fun means whatever it means to you. It doesn't matter what it is. I don't care if fun is like sitting there quietly and just reading a book to yourself and not talking to anyone for a day. That could be a lot of fun for some folks. And so, you know, maybe it's, you know, drawing or whatever you do. I don't know, but I mean, it's unique to you. So create fun for yourself. And the last F of the fulfillment formula is friendships. I think um, it's really important to have people in your life that are not your family, that are not, you know, uh, your colleagues who are your friends and who even if it's just one or two people in your life, 
that you can talk to and uh, connect with and, you know, uh, experience this life journey with. I think that's important um, to do. So that's the fulfillment formula, right? Family, uh, fitness, mental and physical, um, finances, freedom, fun and friendships, all six F words. And uh, we try to just live our life uh, based on that. So it, you can call that our value system if you will, right? And so now when we're doing too much of one, every Sunday, I look at it. And if I'm doing too much of one thing and not of another, it just realigns me. So now five years of my life doesn't go by with me saying, damn, my kids grew up so fast. I missed it. I don't let Sunday to Sunday go by without that. And I used to do that. I used to, I used to do that. I would allow the business and all the other things and my thoughts and my anxiety and my own stress take over. And I wasn't present for my family, not as present as I should You know, have been. Justin, and, you know, this resonates with me so much. I mean, I, I do have three kids as well. And, uh, you know, what I notice is, you know, what they want is really the time, is that connection, you know, the family, right? And yeah, we all have stressful days. We all, you know, go up and down. But I, I, I think just having this as something to kind of, you know, remember or pay attention to right uh it, it's it's really amazing you know justin i really want to thank you for your time i mean we could go for hours here uh you know i i you know there was a lot of uh you know engaging <laughs> and entertaining conversation here and i really appreciate it if somebody wants to you know get in touch say hi what's the best way to uh get a hold of you uh, I would just say email. Uh, so you can go to uh, high, H-I-G-H, performance, uh, spelled as, as performance, uh, practice.com, highperformancepractice.com. And my contact information is on there. So Perfect. Uh, and we'll, we'll have that in the show notes, uh, you know, uh, so that would yeah. be uh, in, in the show notes. So Yeah, and the email address is drjustin at highperformancepractice.com. Perfect. Well, thank you so much uh, again. I really appreciate your time. This was sure. uh, awesome. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Mo. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us on your favorite podcasting app. If you'd like to learn more about Shift Accounting, visit us at www.shiftact.com or you can reach out to me directly at Mohammed, M-O-H-A-M-E-D, at shiftacct.com.